In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember well that gospel being read at evening prayer when I was in seminary. Um, and this was just at the be beginning of the time of trying to take scripture lessons and put them in inclusive language. And so the reader, without evidently any preparation, began to translate bridesmaids to those about to be married. But then you get to the bridegroom is coming, and Jesus, and suddenly, well, it was Mr. Toad's wild ride, liturgically speaking. I mean, it just went everywhere, and uh, so I can't help but smile when I hear that very well-read gospel. Thank you so very much. United Methodist Bishop Will Willimon tells the following story. <clears throat> When I was serving a little church in rural Georgia, one of my members had a relative who died. The funeral was in a little hot, crowded, off-brand, Baptisty country church. I'd never seen anything like it. After the coffin was wheeled in, <clears throat> the preacher let loose some fire and brimstone. It's too late for Joe, he screamed while pointing to the coffin. He might have wanted to do this or that in life, but it's too late for him now. He's dead. It's all over for him. He might have wanted to straighten his life out, but he can't now. It's over. But there's good news. I said, there's good news. It isn't too late for you. People drop dead every day. So why wait? Now is the day of decision. You laugh, but now is the day of decision. Now is the time to make your life count for something. Give your life to Jesus. Willimon goes on to recall that he thought it was the worst funeral sermon, the worst sermon period that he had ever heard. <laughs> Driving home, he prayed aloud, Lord, help me never to do that to a grieving family. The late Episcopal priest and author, Father Robert Capon, suggested another way to be prepared for that day when we stand before Jesus. Our gospel passage ends with Jesus saying, keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And Father Capon writes, when all is said and done, when we have scared ourselves silly with the now or never urgency of faith and the once and for all finality of judgment, we need to take a deep breath and let it out with a laugh. Because what we are called to watch for is a party. And the party is not just down the street making up its mind when it will come to us, the party is already hiding in our basement, 
banging on our steam pipes and laughing its way up our cellar stairs. That unknown day and hour Jesus talks about is not a day of dread, but that glorious day when the party finally bursts into the kitchen, roistering its way through the whole house. Now, his quote continues, and I want to make it quite clear for the record, these are Capon's words and not my own, when he says, Jesus coming again is not like our mother-in-law coming for dinner. <laughs> Hi, Patricia, love you very much. Nice to see you. It's not like our mother-in-law coming to dinner, looking closely to see if we are using the dishes she gave us. Our Lord's coming will be a most welcome sight, like a favorite relative who shows up with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. In this passage, Jesus is, of course, right, he concludes. We must watch for him, watch for that day when he comes, because it would be such a pity to miss all the fun. Because of God's grace, so freely and undeservedly given in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are people of hope. The ultimate hope that God's love triumphs. God's love for all is eternal and will never be revoked. We do not point to Jesus as one to be feared, but as the hope of the world. And the world gets a taste of that hope through those baptized into his death and resurrection. Jesus' parables are meant to shockingly reveal God's abundant love and mercy in ways that defy our understanding, an understanding often used as a means of control, which taps into people's fears. This parable awakens us to hope, to live out that hope as individuals and as the church in this commonwealth. And my journey of faith in the church has led me to the conviction that true Christian hope springs from gratitude. When thankfulness is the lens through which we see and live each day, Hope both precedes and follows gratitude. I'm willing to bet many are like me these days. My lamp of hope runs low on oil at times. What that says is not that hope is elusive, far from it. It is, as the gospel says, a wake-up call for me and for all of us to rethink what it means to be prepared with enough hope that burns brightly in the darkest of realities. The oil we need is found and is given us in seeking and serving Christ in all people, in loving our neighbors as ourselves, in respecting the dignity of every human being. We burn brightest with the light of hope 
when we ease someone's burden. That preacher Bishop Willimon heard was sort of right about one thing. We are promised only today to enable the church in her work of proclaiming Christ as the hope of the world, whose resurrection has destroyed death. We have only today to live for the one who says, as we face our greatest challenges, be not afraid. Feed the hungry. Speak out against bigotry. Live justly. Give generously. Heal the environment. Wage peace. Pray, work, and give for building up the reign of God. These are the ways we fill our lamps and prepare for the party that is coming. <clears throat> In conclusion, a couple of congregations have heard me share the following story. When I was in high school, to me, Saturday morning meant one thing, sleep. After five grueling days of school, <laughs> and a day before getting up early on Sunday for church, Saturday was clearly meant to be a day of sleep. I was sure that Sabbath was Hebrew for sleeping in. <laughs> when I was a high school student, Saturday morning meant one thing to my father chores around the house. And further, it was absolutely necessary in Holy Writ to begin the day of chores as early as possible. Thus, my father and I celebrated a type of liturgy most Saturday mornings. I would hear my father's footsteps as he descended the stairs to my bedroom door. He would enter said bedroom, none too quietly, and I would pretend to be asleep. In a voice that was a cross between a football cheer and the sing-song of a drill instructor, he would boldly proclaim, everybody up, let's go. His enthusiasm was disgusting. <laughs> Next in the liturgy came intense shaking of the allegedly sleeping sun. And then would come the dismissal. As the theme of today's work was announced, today we are going to mow the 50 acres. Today we are going to chop down firewood for the next three winters and so on. <laughs> Eventually, somewhat begrudgingly, dad knew that within the next 20 minutes or so, I would make my way to wherever the work was to begin. Looking back, especially once I was a father with teenagers, looking back, perhaps as a teen, I didn't want to carry out my father's wishes because I was rebelling in some fashion. And I certainly didn't understand that as a member of the family, I shared responsibilities for some household chores. But most of all, I had no clue that what my father was saying by giving me chores was that he needed me. He wasn't trying to make my life intentionally miserable. He wasn't punishing me by giving me work to do on Saturday. 
He needed me or else some important work would not get done. Daily, you and I as individuals and as the church have a choice. To meet life and the news of the day by giving in to darkness and fear, or by lighting the lamp of hope with thanksgiving, grateful for the opportunity to serve Christ in all people, and a willingness to act that out in concrete ways that also make hope real. It's the difference between the funeral preacher's homily that Bishop Willimon heard and the context of gratitude from which Father Capon sees a party in the basement making its ways up the cellar stairs. I am grateful for you. I give thanks for you. You are hope incarnate. You bring that hope to countless folks within your own congregation, within your neighborhoods, your communities, towns and cities, together as the Diocese of Kentucky. I give thanks for the continuing manifestations of hope present here as we gather together and come as thankful people this day. So beloved, together let us watch. Be prepared and well stocked with hope. Jesus is coming again to the world he saved. The party has already begun giving hope and life to others. Jesus needs our help. So in the words of my dad, everybody up, let's go. Amen.